You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania Manania. You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania Manania. From the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, this is the A Copper and a Yarn podcast. Yama. And welcome to episode two of our podcast, A Cuppa and a Yarn, brought to you by the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. I'm Michelle Alexandrovics Lovegrove. Thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed my yarn with Mark Ella in episode one, and I really think you're going to love our guest this week. It's NAIDOC Week 2019, with the theme this year, Voice, Treaty, Truth. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples want their voices to be heard. First Nations were excluded from the Constitutional Convention debates of the 1800s when the Australian Constitution came into force. There were no treaties, no formal settlements, no compacts. Voice, Treaty, Truth were three key elements to the reform set out in the Uluru Statement from the Heart. First, a First Nations voice to Parliament enshrined in the Constitution. And second, a Makarata Commission to supervise treaty processes and truth-telling. And as we consider voice, treaty, truth, what better person to yarn with than Anne Martin, AM, a woman who's devoted years of her life to NAIDOC, 14 years in fact, and 13 years as co-chair of the National NAIDOC Committee. Anne is a Yuan woman, born and bred in La Perouse in Sydney, and is the director of the Jabal Indigenous Higher Education Centre at the Australian National University. Anne's guided scores of young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students through university, both at ANU and at the University of New South Wales. She's the director who will cook up pots of slow-cooked soups and stews for the students during winter, who ensures they're correctly guided and supported through university life, who's mothered six children, is grandmother to 15, and who was integral to the powerful NAIDOC themes of the past decade plus. I really hope you enjoy A Cuppa and a Yarn with Anne Martin. You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania, Manania. Anne Martin, welcome to the Cuppa and a Yarn podcast from New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. Thanks for sparing the time this NAIDOC week. Uh, absolutely delighted to spend time with you um, on a glorious Canberra day. It being NAIDOC week, um, last year, you know, because of who we can, being such an iconic year mm. for NAIDOC. Over the National Committee worked with some absolutely wonderful people who give freely of their time to come up with um, themes that will resonate across the nation, bring us together and recognise the amazing achievements of from our elders to our our young ones. It's uh, NAIDOC week is just glorious but it's also that point in time where we go back and we remember our history and why we're here. Mm. And even though we may be celebrating, we never forget that this came from a rights movement. I think you're spot on with uh, remembering the roots. You know, we yes, we celebrate, we can enjoy it. I know there's a lot of parties and people love yeah. getting glammed up and stuff, but we're celebrating how far we came, but we can't forget where we've come from. I think... Every year 
when we come into NAIDOC week, I always pause to remember those who have gone before us and left us such great legacies and to know that the fights were not easy. The fighting's never ended, but the generosity of spirits, you know, from our elders, you know, those that, that are present, those that are gone, you have to remember that um, each and every day, but in, in NATO week, especially because while you may get glammed up and have, you know, these wonderful awards and and these celebrations across our communities. Cause I, I, what I love about NAIDOC is the fact that out across the country, in our communities, there are all these wonderful, wonderful events that take place and people come together and there's a rejoicing. Mm-hmm. There's a rejoicing and it's not a day. It's a week where they think, but you know, we celebrate each and every day of each and every year, yeah. you know, our survival. But I think that the national awards, I think that's a great opportunity for people to be nominated, put forward and to be acknowledged for the work that they have undertaken. And, you know, they have carried, you know, so much responsibility. They have done amazing things, you know, our person of the year, you know, our lifetime achievers. Whilst they may be the ones that are, you know, glammed up and that for the night and getting these awards and quite unaware that they are getting the award. I think that um, it's everybody across our communities. Like my my grandchildren are, are dancing every day up in Sydney this week, welcoming people at Sydney Airport, you know, um, and I'm just thinking, wow, you know, you're doing what you know, my grandchildren doing what their mother did, you know, when they were in the La Perouse dance group and that. But I'm thinking people are coming in and they're getting off those planes and we're celebrating NADOC and the signage is everywhere and here's these amazing, talented young kids, not just dancing but practising culture, mm-hmm. you know, for the eyes of everybody to see. And there's a rejoicement in our rich culture, rich heritage, it's something that makes your heart sing, but it should not be just something that happens within that little finite moment. It's something that everybody across the nation should be thinking about each and every day of the year, but that's, we're still a ways to go there. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you, whether being so deeply involved in in NAIDOC week strategically for for so many years. Have you seen any change in even, for example, that finite moment just becoming bigger? I think it is. I think when you start, people start to come on a journey. Lessons are learned. Um, For each step we take, we may take a couple backwards, but I, as a grandmother now of 15, I want to know that as we move forward there are changes and that people are listening and when we have a theme that is picked up within our schools and like uh, when we talk about you know our our languages and 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 people can practice and and learn things and then we have you know song lines and people get to understand what how very intrinsic it is to our our being, you know, mm. our song lines. And I think, isn't it great that they've learned something that they didn't know before? 
and they celebrate that with us and they've learned something and it may be not what we want everybody to be but it's still a part of the journey you know and will we ever get there probably not in my lifetime yeah. but i would hope f- within the Can next generation and my grandchildren that we will see the change that we deserve and it shouldn't be about fighting for the change it should be about those people walking with us to make the change land council members are your contact details up to date have you moved home recently got a new post office box Are you even sure that your address, your phone number, maybe your email address has been entered into the member's registry correctly? Well, there's only one way to be certain, and now's the best time to do it. The Newswalk election is coming up soon on November 30. So having your contact details up to date has never been more important. Contact your lab today. It might just save you a lot of hassle tomorrow. Being on the National NAIDOC Committee for so many years, was it time for you to to step into...? Uh, it was time. It was time. But it was also the theme in that year mm-hmm. because of her we can. Yes. That theme resonated so strongly with me at mm-hmm. that moment because the morning that we chose that theme as the National Committee in Sydney was the morning that my daughter, around about one o'clock in the morning, she went into labour. So I hooked it over to the hospital (laughs) at Rowie. And I I got over there and in the early hours of the morning, little Isabel was born. But when little Isabel was born, it was also the moment of, um, it was kind of like a defining moment. Isabel came into our lives, this most beautiful little chubby cheek, long-lashed, gorgeous little girl. But it was only a couple of weeks before that that her older sister was diagnosed with a radbomyosarcoma, uh, a very rare cancer, and my our little Lila, who was only just on three and a half. And I looked at the strength and resilience of my daughter in that moment and the burden that she would carry yeah. as we move forward... And the absolute statement that she's going to be fine. So she went from one part of the hospital to the next part for the next 18 months with little Isabel being raised in the hospital. And I looked at her and I thought, wow, the theme really was meant to be back then because when I walked into that meeting that morning, you know, you get around and you're talking, there's lots of, you know, comments being thrown in the room and you go oh yeah okay no no that's not gonna work but to me when I walked in the room that morning it had to be about our women because I had witnessed that morning what our grandmothers our aunts our ancestors the burdens that they they carried and they never gave up and I thought it's time that we acknowledged all of that and so to me because of her we can it took on a life of its own sure did and you know that wonderful conference that was organized I mean that just um I just cry thinking about that Mm. but I saw women that came from across the country that I hadn't seen I saw 
young Dolly from the Northern Territory, and I hadn't seen Dolly since she was a little girl. And her mum and I are great mates from when we were young up in the Territory. And I'm thinking, this has brought us all together. And the stories that came out, you know, sons talking about their mothers, you know, um, the memories of what grandmothers did and the legacies that we have benefited from. And, and it was just this amazing, passionate outpouring of um, honouring, mm. you know, um, women across the country. And I thought, well, I can't get any better than this, can it? See you later. <laughs> I'm gone. <laughs> And it's a perfect it's a perfect way to cap off such a a wonderful period of time being at uh, the helm. Yeah, mm. and the the thing is that we needed each other as a family during this time. Yeah, and uh, your family always always comes first, and because you don't do it alone, you do it together. So we had a we had a big journey to undertake during that time, and mm. um, we did it was hard mm. but it was um my little granddaughter started school this year she's going to la perouse and is she yes on her first day she went for three hours then she had to go and have chemo <laughs> but oh, she God started bless. school yeah and um and i just think you know for my daughter and my son-in-law and and you know her other grandparents you know dave and diane such an amazing family you know, such amazing fighters. And uh, I think she's a little warrior, you know, and I just think how lucky are we that, you know, we get to be able to laugh and rejoice at this point in time. So that that was a good thing. It was pretty horrible. Oh, pretty horrible. Absolutely. You know, because, uh, you know, along with great happiness comes great sadness and your ups and your downs. But you know what? Resilience. Resilience and understanding. And a strong community, a really, really strong community that really gets behind you and understands what's going on. Also, understanding that it just doesn't happen to your family. It happens to so many others. And to be able to do little bits and pieces to help others during that time, you know, within that health system, that was really important. This was a community at La Perouse? Yes. Yeah, yeah. isn't that fantastic? Yeah. You were brought up there as I well. was. I was born and raised in um, La Perouse. Um, mm. My great-grandmother, Annie, who I was named for, is a um, very strong Ewan woman. Mm -hmm. And um, is, that, is that your phone? No, the one over there behind you. You just pull off the hook. That's a okay. That's a nice ring, isn't it? A lovely it? ring. I was just really, really lucky, you know, to grow up, and I can remember the bay when you could look from one side to the other, and you didn't have container terminals, or, mm. or you just had this beautiful, magical sand beach. You know, you you live from the sea. You know, you'd collect. The mussels and you know the uncles would go fishing and diving, and if you didn't like an oyster, it didn't matter with your grandfather because he'd just drop one down your throat and you just had to go, oh. <laughs> and that would that was it. I went to school at La Perouse as my mother did. Um, they really want to talk to you. And they do. <laughs> Anne's just getting up to uh, 
deal with the telephone. And you're listening to A Cuppa and a Yarn. I'm uh, sitting in the lovely office of Anne Martin at uh, Australian National University. And we'll, we'll have a little chat about, about all of that in a moment. It's still ringing. This is technology for you. You try and switch it off. You try and turn it off. It won't be turned off. Maybe, Anne, if they call back, you might need to talk to them. She doesn't want to talk to anybody, I'm, except for me, of course. I, I want to talk to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in a space and yeah. there's other phones in the office that they can ring. They can call, yes. And it might be just somebody trying to give me more work, which I don't no, want. and we don't want to answer that <laughs> phone call. <laughs> I, I don't need that. But, you know, growing up in, in La Perouse, I just remember uh, I can remember the big fig trees. I can remember when the... Bob would come in their big cars. At uh, back, back then, the travelling people they would mm-hmm. they would arrive, and my grandfather would say, "I'll oh, be very very careful," you know. But we'd go there, and we we're so excited. These huge cars, people camping out there, down there, and um, and it used to be funny when we were kids that a lot of people that had just come over from the boats from um, the migrant migrated from England mm. and everywhere that arrive out home mm. and we're to go watching them. And and sometimes we'd say, oh, look, the ghosts are coming. <laughs> we were really little kids. I, I think one of my aunties used to say that and I'd say, I think it was my auntie Joycey. I said, why do you say that? She said, because, look, they've got no, they got no, got no colour in There's them, no please. No. <laughs> and I think, but it's cold. And I, I didn't understand all of that. So they'd come out to watch the steak show with um, old Mr Can, so they'd come out and do that. And then I remember when the wharf was still there, um, people would come and throw money into the water. Did you go diving? I didn't. Oh, my grandfather would have whooped you. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> because he did it to my uncles. Don't you go diving and doing that. Don't watch it, you know. He, he would have a brain snap about that. But... They'd come and throw pennies and that in, and mm. you know. And I was talking to Mark Eller the other week. He used to dive. Of course, he did. He, he won w- the money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he w- he was one of the kids who dived. Oh, I can <laughs> jump in no water for nobody's penny. yeah, for a little penny, you know. <laughs> but you know, it was just to be. But we had like uh, I I can remember you know I trail my auntie down, the road where you know like all the fish and chip shops and that are now and um there was like this milk bar and we'd go down there and I and one of my greatest joys I don't think my auntie really liked me sometimes because she had dragged me along with her I was just the little you know the little um niece that uh, you know she had to supervise and you'd get down there and they'd have the jukebox on and oh my god it's the first time I heard that song Little Red Rooster or under the boardwalk and um, mm. uh, Cliff, whatever his name was, what Bachelor was Boy. Oh, uh, right. On the beach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and I just absolutely loved going there. But I wasn't allowed to sit inside because she wouldn't let me sit inside. And I'd have to sit out in the grass on the side on a piece of cardboard because I used to take it up the top of the hill and slide down on it and just... Listen to that was your toboggan. That was my toboggan, yeah. and just listen to the music. And then you know, days just you know in the summertime, just 
on the beach because mm. you would just um, grab a towel and walk down. And now if you drive out there, you see that wonderful footpath that goes down to Kongi Beach, as we call it. Mm-hmm. There's no footpath there before the Olympics because they put it in there because they were going to run that torch from... Oh, so that's how we got a footpath right. out there. And uh, I just, uh, I remember we used to walk down there and we'd go over to Kongi some days and other days, you know, we'd walk around the loop and, you know, go to, to Lapa. And then if uh, my uncles and that were there, my uncle Norman Ella and Auntie Hazel and that had all come out and and mum and dad would go down there and all the other aunties and uncles would go down to Yarra Bay and we'd get to that all you know, have whatever. My uncles probably end up in the Arab Bay Sailing Club. But <laughs> <laughs> we were we used to get really excited if we got a lemon squash out on the on the grass on the hill out there. But it was just um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful life living, you know, out there in Adina Avenue at La Perouse. And I I rejoice that my grandchildren now do the same things that I did. They don't need a swimming pool. They just don't, they don't even take a towel. Mm-hmm. Don't even wear shoes. Would Good. Burn, it would have burned my feet if I was walking on that bitumen. You're yeah. just at the bottom. But no, they just straight across, um, straight into um, straight into the water. Summertime, it's great. Come home and and um, just the sheer joy of of having such a natural environment. You, it makes me sad sometimes when I look at what's happened. You know, to the bay. I, I think that all of us that have the memories of the the beauty of that area has been decimated yeah. by, um, they call it progression, I call it, I always refer to it as um, the destruction of the bay. Mm-hmm. I think now they want to put a, a cruise ship thing out there now. Oh, yeah. Lapa is a magical, magical place and I'm glad that, she was 86 the other week. So my mum and dad are still out there and um, my children, my daughter's there, my grandchildren are there and I just think that the love that I had for growing up there is now there, you know, with 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 my grandchildren. And they're going to the school that um, I went to. So my mother, me, my daughters, my grandchildren, four generations Same gone to school. that that little school that I used to run away from that school quite often run up the hill every year they used to line us up for needles you know when you get your vaccinations when you were kids mm. I didn't hang around for any of that I bolted up the hill as quick as these skinny little legs could run back then and then I my grandmother would drag me back down the hill yeah they were the days they were the days it's <laughs> like God, you know, I'm a faster runner than you, but you're still beating beating me, Nan. Oh, terrified of her. So you had four brothers? That's right, isn't it? I had four brothers. And you're the only girl. I'm the only girl. I was the oldest of four. They were hard work. Mum and Dad worked a, did a lot of shift work. Mum worked yeah. at – a lot of uh, women worked out at Prince Henry Hospital. Mm-hmm. So Mum worked out there. Dad worked down the paper mill. A lot of shift work, so – I used to have to get those boys up and get them to school in the morning and they were hard work but um, I got them moving. 
Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> I think that's probably where you learned some of your, you know, very exceptional directional skills, etc. was probably back in those days of organising those four boys. Well, I think it was funny because I remember when we, we'd been living out in Cobar for a number of years because Dad had the garbage contract out there and a lot of the mob like Uncle Bart and Auntie Joyce and all came out to Cobar to, to, to be with, work with um, Dad and... Um, I remember coming back from, you know, the red dust back down there and, you know, moving into a new place and the people that lived around us said they never needed an alarm clock. They had the Martin kids. <laughs> it was me trying to get my brothers organised in the early hours of the morning. Oh, no. Hard work. Yeah. Bit of yelling going on? Just a tad. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, look, and you playing such a role in their lives and in their days. I mean, I I did read how you continued that to help your family. You know, you actually, it's it's so interesting. She's smiling now. She knows where I'm I'm going with this. We're we're sitting here at Australian National University where um, Anne is the director of the uh, Indigenous Centre here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll have a yarn about that. But you left school earlier probably than you would have liked to help your family, didn't you? Yeah, um, things were a bit hard back then. Yeah. And um, I was doing well at school, but um, I had a brother that was kind of brilliant, uh, Cal, and he he really wanted to go. So I I left school and um, went to work and got a job over somewhere in Mascot and come home every week when you got paid. I think I was paid $18 a week in my first job. And I think uh, I'd give a fair whack of that to my, my mum and dad. And my yeah. brothers would all line up for their little... Little cut. Their little cut. <laughs> so Anne's cut was was nothing. Uh, <sighs> and then... Um, but you know what? That didn't matter. Because my... my um, my parents worked hard and, you know, they, there were some circumstances that made things a little bit difficult at that time and um, I just had to help. So I think from around about the age of 13 when mm. mum and dad work and shift work, I'd, I learned to cook really early. So I lucky I used to watch what my grandmother did, my, my nan Alice, so I'd become quite the baker and proficient cook and God help my brothers if they put tomato sauce or hot sauce as they called it back then, Worcestershire sauce on their meals, I'd have a go at them because I think I'd spend all this time making this amazing meal and now drowned it in Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, so i just give them a clip in the back of the head or something like that's what a big sister would do. But um, when things settled down and I had a family, my mum and dad said, you, you know, we'll look after your kids now while you go back and study. So I was very fortunate in that respect. It may have come a little bit later in life than what I wanted, but okay. maybe that's the way it was supposed to be. Mm. And, you know, I I look at my brother. I've lost one. I lost Shane in 2011. He was... I love my brother. He set up Dulagars, that, um, the... Indigenous surfing company here in the country, oh, right. just just amazing. But he was, it was amazing, um, and that loss was insurmountable. I miss my brother each and every day. 
You know, I um, was uh, writing a few little notes here just to keep myself mm. on track with, you know, some, some questions, etc. And you were saying with you being able to finish school, so I guess mm. doing your HSC mm. and mm. then going on to university mm. quite a bit a bit later, you were in your 30s, weren't yeah, you? I was. Yeah. I was. But, but, but I wrote here, I wrote 30s more defined picture of what you wanted to achieve. I would have imagined you said it was probably for the best. In yes. your 30s, you were a mum already, weren't you I too? I was a mum, mm. yeah. How many kids had you had by that point? I had um, four. You'd had, had four, yeah, when I you went had back. four. And you, you finished school yeah, first. Yeah, I went back. I went to um, the Aboriginal Task Force in Darwin and um, I completed that. And then I started studying. I was going to be one of those 1,000 teachers by 1990. Oh, right. Oh, I didn't like <laughs> little kids that much. I had four brothers. Oh, Goodness that's gracious. <laughs> but I, I, I went to university up in the Northern Territory. Uh, I started off in a big demountable because it was not what we know now as Charles Darwin University. So I went through all the iterations of the Darwin Community College through to finally uh, finishing my degree at the Marley Point campus at what was in the Northern Territory University. But when I got my degree, it was kind of funny because it was from the University of Queensland <laughs> because they didn't have the um, accredited. Oh, my God, I thought I was going to, uh, you know, I did my studies up in the Northern Territory and then look out, I'm getting a piece of paper from Queensland. Okay, so they can claim me now even though I did it <laughs> Now, how did you get to Darwin? Why were you in Darwin? Was it with you? I, I went up there, Darwin. Um, I was. I went up and I worked with Aboriginal Hostels Limited, okay. and I was asked to um, work at one of the hostels in town called Daisy Yamir, and it was a mothers and babies oh, okay. hostel. Yeah. And uh, imagine this young mm. green person from down there went up there and learned a lot real quick. And um, and I, I found it was a, it was a really difficult time because um, young mums and bubs and you know we we were look, looking looking at you know what's going to you know keep the young mums and the babies healthy. So we had a program where mums would come in x amount of weeks before babies were due and then go home x amount of weeks later. And um, it was just a really um, a great little program that we worked with, you know, with the NT Health Department in in putting together. We had our own little clinic, you know, in the hostel and and everything. And I learned so much in in that time. I gosh, I learned, I learned a lot. But um, both culturally, spiritually, in all sorts of way. But I saw things that I that made me deeply saddened. Yeah. And, you know, and I thought, you know, how do we change these sorts of things? How do we get better, you know, healthcare opportunities? How are we looking after, you know, our our women who are coming in to, you know, to have children? How do you educate the government departments to do things in, in better ways? Mm. You don't educate them. You just go and have a big Barney with them. I figured that out. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember once we needed fifty thousand dollars to fix the roof up on the hostel, and uh, the then chief minister was reluctant to give it to us. So I 
wrote a letter down to to the shadow minister at the time, to uh, Susan, and Peter Bowen was the minister. And I said to her, you know, this, yada, 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 we need this. And um, the next thing I know, we get the $50,000, we get the roof fixed mm. and Peter Bowen comes up and launches and everything. And the chief minister come out, you know, put the smile on the dial because you've got a federal minister there. And I thought, you didn't even want to give us this money. You didn't care that there could be electrical faults and things could happen. So I remember I offered him a cup of tea. But I gave, him, I gave to him what I called a Mickey Mouse cup. I gave it to him in a plastic cup. And that was my way of saying, I see you. I see Because <laughs> I used to go in. I used to go in sitting at the Legislative Assembly and listen to the debates. I really found it quite interesting, you know, with territory politics and the way they, they, they were and, you know, the pursuit um, of statehood and, and, and other things. And, and I looked at the way some of the, the money that was going there from, you know, the federal bucket wasn't really hitting, you know, our spaces very well. Mm-hmm. And people were well aware of everything that was going on up there. So I was learning a lot in a, in a very quick time. I also learned how to fish really well up there as well. Oh, good. That was a very important thing. Learn how to fish, you know, and and if you catch it, you scale it and you kill it. And I, one of my other great loves from there was I... Um, I love goose season. Not mm-hmm. going out and getting them, but eating them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite things. But, I, you know, I go back up to the church, you know, and you can be walking through the shop and say, hey, Annie. And they reckon I haven't seen you for a while. I'm thinking, God, I left you in 1990. Yes. <laughs> but yes. same old, same old. Getting older. Yeah. And and getting older, you know, you, yeah. you've got a few tracks, I guess, behind yeah. you. And some of them, which... Um, the tracks that you, you made at um, UNSW as well. So you're at the Jabal Indigenous Higher Education mm. Centre here at ANU. Mm. But you were – so, so was it Neurogilly then or – No, we, back then it was, called, we called, it was just called the Aboriginal Education yeah. Program. I yeah. went there in – was it 1990? Around about mm. that time. Mm. And um, I said I, want, I said I wanted to apply for the job because I'd come back down here to work after I'd finished my degree and um, – and they said, oh, the job's closed. And I said, no, 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 I want to apply for the job. I want to come home. And mm. that fella just went, okay. <laughs> so I applied for the job four weeks after it had closed. Serious? Yeah, he was a good bloke. Mm. It wasn't just about getting people to come into the university. To me, it was from day one, what are we going to do to get them out the other end? 100%. And that was that was my vision. And then I thought sometimes we have to be able to give our young ones a taste of what a university experience may be like. So, you mm. know, during that time we set up things like the pre-law and the pre-med program, pre-commerce, pre-architecture mm. and all this. And those programs are still operating mm. to this day. And I was so proud of um, the university this week when they said they were launching a pre science and engineering program I thought wow that's fantastic it just goes to show you that the idea that we had back then is still relevant now Mm. and it's going to um, be responsible for bringing a whole new group of young people into the idea of uh, higher education you know within the chancery I 
I work with great people, you know, in the team. And I look at the people that came to university when I was there. Terry Janke, Jenny Munro. Very, very good minds, those two. Yeah. Kelvin Kong. Yeah. My mate Lawrence, Lawrence La- Gilbert. Lawrence Gilbert. <laughs> He's, Look yes. at these grey hairs, Lawrence. Yes. They're all from you. Yeah. He said to me that he was naughty and you had to you had to tread a very firm line with him. Yeah, that, that is correct. Yeah. I yeah. treat him like I treated my brothers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> but but I look I look now and I I see people like young you know, Terry's young daughter, Tamina Pitt, you know, just finished her engineering degree, this um these amazing achievements and I and I'm thinking, um, being there at that time to see the engagement, you know, with uh, our community and other communities, you know, with the university, to be able to um, make use of places like um, NIDA, where we mm. set up little um, mm. programs for our for our kids back in the early days because they were across the road from the university but they weren't part of the university. Mm we were able to go in and say, hey, why don't we run these little programs for our kids? And I'd bring kids in from all over the, the, the place to um, engage with and learn and, and have opportunities. And if some of the young ones were coming down, like miscellaneous, Ben, Benny Grouts, and that, I remember when Ben came into to NIDA and I thought, wow, you know... Um, We've got somebody from the Northern Territory. We've got young Glenn that went through. And I think they gave generously to us. And, you know, then I said one day to him, you should identify some places here. And uh, they did. We're very lucky that we can be here and, and gain this kind of education. But we must always remember to pay it forward. It's not just words. It's actions. I told you the story of... Kelvin, you know, I walk into the hospital one day, my little granddaughter's, she was three, she's 15 now, she's got cystic fibrosis and she was going in for what they call an annual bronch where they go in and look down in her lungs. And who's assisting the ENT surgeon but Dr Kelvin Kong. I knew that my granddaughter was in the greatest of hands because there was great love in that room. We talk about doctors being good doctors and great doctors He's, he's a great, great doctor, doctor, but more importantly, he's human yeah. because so many people fail to be human. And I only came back into education because when my brother died and I I didn't know what to do, so I just wandered aimlessly for, oh. for quite a while. I, yeah. just, I just couldn't settle down. I would jump in the car and drive to Cairns to visit my other two brothers. I mean, who does that? I'm going to Cairns tomorrow. <laughs> and then I saw a job advertised here and I thought, and it was kind of like, just do it. This is here at ANU. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, and it was kind of like, it was the place that I was supposed to end up. And and that was because my brother, I think, led me here. I'm doing what my brother thought that I was really, really, what he loved me doing. He loved me working with younger ones. And um, I just feel a sense of uh, peace. I've seen people graduate here. I've been a part of their journey. And it's like back there in the 90s, but... To see these these next generations coming through, and you know they're our leaders, our young leaders that that um, that know the importance of what they need to do, the pathways which they will tread, and the differences they will make. And I and I think I'm really really fortunate that I get to share that 
with them and just be here for them when they they need me but also to create opportunities so that if I walked away from here tomorrow the most important thing I would say to myself what is your legacy trust me I'm working on legacy It's a big year for the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. On November 30, members right across the state are headed to the polls for the Newswall collection. So it's a pretty big deal, not only for the future of the organisation and the land rights movement, but members, this is your opportunity to have your say on the future for all Aboriginal people in New South Wales. Now, the only way to ensure you have your say is by lodging your vote. There's a few ways to do that. Postal voting is one of them, but... In order to do that, you need to ensure your contact details are up to date. I mean, it's pretty hard to get a voting form in the mail if your address is wrong, isn't it? So don't wait. Get in touch with your local Aboriginal Land Council and update your details, even just to check and make sure they're registered correctly. You never know. It is worth checking. It's the best way to make sure you get to make your mark with your all-important vote on Newswell Collection Day. That's November 30 so wonderful to talk to you about education higher education etc i know you've done a lot of things i mean mama six grandmother to 15 now isn't it Be 16 in december 16 in december I so they'd finished they never give up no <laughs> more money that's right Prams, more nappies <laughs> what drives you your brother supporting your role here as working with the young ones it's Shane. This is what he loved me doing and, and um, I think this is where I was meant to come to be, you know, where I, my final kind of job and um, this is my, my, um, my ode to my brother, you know, that, that, that's it. He's, um, this is what he loved me doing and, uh, and I'm not too bad at it. I feel like that I'm paying it for, and I'm in my 60s now, and um, this will be my last job. So let's make it a damn fine ending to a career where you'd be able to look back and think, yep, I got to share that journey with these people. I mean, wouldn't it be great that one day one of our students, that you know, like, Minnie that um, was studying um, malaria, you know, I watched her give a shoot one day and I thought, wow, you're incredible. I don't understand half of what you said, but you could just, you could have this great breakthrough, you know, in the treatment and recovery from malaria. And I thought, wow, this is one of our, our young ones, the mm. best and the brightest of them all, you know, young scientist, young Carly Noon, the moon and the stars and everything beyond with with Carly, just phenomenal. I just think that whilst you can, and because you've you've come through life and you've made connections that are invaluable, that you use those connections for the benefit of those that that are coming behind you. So, with making this this a good one, because you were saying earlier with NADOC and with leaving the committee after such a long time. I mean, how can you finish? How can you follow? I agree because yeah. of who we can. How can you? So how perfect. You'd leave it well. Who would have thought this little kid, and I showed you that photo this morning of me sitting in the sand dune at, at LARPA. Um, I think I was probably about three and a half. Who would have thought that I would have had such 
privilege in my life to have sat on something like that and to know that um, I was a part of something that came from such an amazing, rich past. And, you know, never never forgetting that past and, and hoping that I have made a somewhat small contribution along the way. That's all there is, you know. You can only ever strive to do your best. We're never going to be perfect, you know. We're going to have, everybody's going to have upsets, you know, through life. But if you're given the opportunity to do something that will make people smile and rejoice and remember our history and what we want that's going to come before us, then um, I think that NAIDOC, you know, kind of did that. And I just feel you know, just incredibly honoured to have been a part of that and will continue to be a part of that through, you know, whatever I do as I move forward in life. But NAIDOC is just um, something that has evolved so much and people, more and more people coming on the journey. And I just think it is about a celebration of survival. It is about never having ceded sovereignty of our country. It is, it is everything that we all talk about. It is the voice it is it is it is everything and we are in a um i think we're in a a defining moment now in our history with our minister for aboriginal affairs mm-hmm. being one of our mob our shadow minister being one of mm-hmm. our mob we're going to see the commonalities now that they will need to have to take us forward not the differences because we can't have those differences I think I will see in my lifetime that voice to Parliament because I think the country's ready for it. And I think that the amazing work that everybody has done over that, you know, um, through the council, through Megan keeping it out there, and Pat and, and everybody that's coming behind. And I'm thinking for the words that, that were put in that, you know, that, that talked about our, our children, that talked about our past, that talked about our future, it defined a new sense of hope. I believe we're, we're on the cusp of that now because I make a habit of going and having a read back on, on things and I'm thinking we're, we're going to be on the cusp of, of change but that change should not be superficial. It should be um, change that keeps keeps our families strong, keeps them together, but also gives control of our lives back to us, not to what people think we should be doing, but what we think should be happening. You know, whether that's through research, research should not be from coming from the top down, it should be coming from the bottom up. Mm. What do you need us to do for you? What is going to make a difference in your communities? If we get that voice, then people will have to listen. It's time that government started to listen, not to lay blame. It's time that our young ones were not seen as being, oh, you know, they're just the mob that we're going to blow up. We've got to, we've got to make sure that we break that cycle so that our next generations, my grandchildren, 
are not going to be a part of what we see now. Sometimes you think, I think of it in, in, in sense of a softness, but there's got to be that love and respect that we have for our families, for our children, to be acknowledged by all of these others out there that are in positions of authority to understand that we don't need you sometimes to take us by the hand and lead us through that dark tunnel and think, you know, you're probably going to be the one to find salvation because we're certainly not going to find it Mm. because you're doing it wrong. So imagine when it is for us, with us, by us. That's not too far off, I would hope. I want to see that because I'm getting older. Yes. And, Martin, look, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and your generosity today. We ate together. You guys gave us some lovely lunch and we've yarned together. And um, I hope you have a very, very happy, very happy rest of your NAIDOC. I am. And this has been a bit of a highlight of it. And to everybody, always rejoice in our celebration of this week, but never forget where we come from and why we're here. You can do Nayaniya Bariya, Nayaniya Manani, Manani.